Today's daf is Mem Tet, 49. We pick up at the bottom of Mem Chedem Bet, um, three lines from the bottom, bottom, Tanu Rabbanan. Okay, and we are dealing with, or Ravo Shalmayim. We're dealing with the Nisa Chamayim that was done. We discussed the, uh, how you would go up, make a left turn, it's a right turn. There were two funnels, one on the, um, at the, um, at the, uh, um, southwest corner of the altar. Um, the one on the east, the funnel facing the east was for the wine, the one on the west was for the water. Okay, and then they said to the Kohen, lift up your hand so we can see what you're doing, because once he poured it on his feet intentionally, he didn't believe in it, he was a Suzuki, and everybody stoned him with their esrobes. So now they wanted to use the obviously communal pressure to make sure he was doing the right thing. Alright, Tanu Rabbanah. Mazabit Suzuki Echad, there's a story of a certain Sadducee. Shanisa Chagabe Raglav that poured the Nisa Chaimayim on his feet. The Ragmu Kalanda Sogayim. And everybody stoned him with their Esrogim that we sort of saw in the Mishnah, although here that said he was a Tzaduki. And now he goes, it goes on. The Osar Yom Nifkimar Karen Hamizbeach. That day, the uh, horn of the altar, you know, at the top of the Mizbeach, at, at each corner, there was like a, a, there was a cube, an ama by an ama by an ama, at the four corners at the top of the altar, and that was called the horns of the altar. So, and that's where he was doing the pouring, right? He was doing the pouring in the corner, so he was doing it right near the horn. So when they threw him, some of the Yisrogim hit the, hit the horn. So that day, the horn of the altar was kipped, um, and they brought a clump of salt muhu, and they uh, and they um, you know uh, uh, filled up the chip I don't really get how you do that with salt and these things were made out of plaster I'm not sure somebody will explain it to me anyway not that that makes it kosher to do the avodah that doesn't really fix the problem it only helps his appearances it's not a real structural fix of the horn and as we're going to see if you don't have the horn and you don't have it in its right shape it's actually invalid to continue doing the avoda on the altar so this did not really fix it and it did not really make it possible therefore to do the avoda <coughs> so that it should not the altar should not seem to be um, to be chipped uh, uh, or um, what's a better word for pagum um, um, lacking damage lacking damage Right? So it's appearances. You don't even want people to look at it and it should look bad. You don't want to just put up some scaffolding and say, please, please you know, what is it? Please forgive our appearances while we're remodeling. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but you actually don't want, so even while you're waiting to fix it, you want it to look appropriate. And now we're going to discuss why that actually became invalid. Top of Nemtet Amadalev. Shekomi's Beach. Any altar that is missing a ramp or is missing a horn, the low yisod, or doesn't have the foundation, the you know the lowermost ama extension, the um, low ribua, or is lacking a being square, pasula voda is invalid for avoda. By the way, I should mention that the other place where the idea of ribua square really comes up and a chip is a problem and so on is. Tefillin, right? And if you think about it, the shape of the tefillin is pretty similar in the sense that you've got a cube and then you have a base, you know, and you have a thin base and whatever. So it is interesting to note, you know, you know, the same idea of ribua. Now, of course, that why are specifically these things? Well, let's just read one more line. Even the walk around, right? So if you remember, right, the way the altar looks. Um, I don't know how it is. Okay, now I lost 
But the point is, the Mentoso says, they didn't make the altar in the here with stones. I mean, I'm, as I'm just describing it, you can hear how impossible it would be to effectively make something with stones with these types of criteria. So what they actually made it with was plaster. But they actually used, like, a lot of pebbles, but, you know, filled it with uh, cement and plaster and whatever, and they poured it into molds, which is a lot easier to get something in a particular shape if you're pouring it into molds. Okay, so it doesn't... So being chipped in itself is not a problem. So what is the problem? Well, the problem is at what stage does it stop being considered to be a square? How much of a chip, like we're talking about like square, how much of a chip, you know, here undermines that sense of squareness? Or how much of a chip on the horn stops it from being considered a full horn? So that's part of what this toast was discussing. Okay, the Gemara does not spell that out. But whatever it was, the horn was damaged enough that it was considered no longer a legitimate horn, and therefore, for appearance's sake, they stopped it up, but they would have to fix it before they could continue doing the avoda. Yes. So essentially, the altar would, would have been an early form of, of concrete. Yeah. Except it wouldn't last very long because the plastering cement they had back then was not very good, so it would have had to be making repairs on a regular basis. Oh, is that really true? That yeah. they didn't have a good plaster? About 150 years ago. Probably. I don't understand. What did the Romans build their bridges out of? What did they build their aqueducts out of? Stone. But the the, nat- the natural weight of the arches, uh-huh. uh, pro- uh, even if you did build them, all the Roman construction was basically hewn stone. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So, and they until late in late in late in the uh, Empire times when they started using wood more. Uh huh. So I don't know. I don't know because we don't hear about them having to regularly remake the Mizpah. Probably because I mean, it was so routine. Uh, but maybe maybe you're, maybe you're saying just like small repairs. Yeah, small repairs. Yeah. I see. Okay. All right. So the most says like this. Um, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. All right. So that was the story about the breaking of the horn. Now we're going to get to a famous Gemara, which will actually have an echo in another Gemara a little bit later, um, just in about four days from now, talking about where the wine would go and the, where, where they would pour it through the funnel. Okay. So let's take a look. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. So this is going to be a fun little Gavita. Shitin, the Shitin, the Shitin is the name that they give for the. Uh, um, the, fu- the 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 uh, um, the underground caverns. Well, it's a question if there's caverns, but the, uh, the the cavities, the place where the wine would go when it went into the altar. And basically, just to let you know, okay, there there are two basic opinions about where the wine would go. They pour it here, right? Here's your funnel. They pour the wine down here. So where is it going? So there's a like a like a um, a pipe, you know, essentially inside, you know, the hollow of the altar, because remember, by the way, I just told you that they were sort of doing it by plaster, so you can pre-make this, okay, so this is the plumbing that they had <laughs> in the, in the, it was on the inside, not on the outside, you know, you have to sort of, you get the idea here, I guess it's right like that, okay, anyway, a pipe going down on the inside, now where would it go, where would the wine finally get into so there's two opinions, one opinion, the more naturalist opinion that we'll see is, is that it would just start filling up, you know, the cavity um, of the altar, that they have a cavity in the bottom and the wine would fill that up. There's another opinion that basically says that the wine would go straight down, you know, into the ground below. This actually would be like a tile floor, so it would break through the tile floor and it would go into some underground cavern. Okay, so this is the question about where would the wine go. But wherever it would go, the place that it would go is, is going is called the sheeting. Okay, and uh, let's take a look. 
So our Rabbi Yochanan, so said Rabbi Yochanan, Shittim, these Shittim, Yishayjits may bracious Nibru. They are, he understands that they're natural underground caverns um, underneath the uh, Har Habayis, and they were created from the six days of creation. Shenemar, as the verse says, Chamukei Yirei um, the uh, so chamuke question uh, um, I don't know the, the English translation says the roundness of your size but we'll see how the Gemara explains the word chamuk uh, in a minute kimo chalaim maaseyide omein so are like chalaim also it could possibly means in the pshat um, like the jewels uh, jewelry um, the uh, the work of craftsmen. Now this is being read as chamuk is the hidden. It's like the uh, the um, cleaving of your size, so or the hidden area of your size. Okay, are like chalaim, are like um, are like. Well, let's take a look at what the Gemara says. Okay, so chamukei yirechayik elu hashitim. These are the shitim because they're hidden, because they're underground. Okay, so maasei uh, Where were we? Kimo chalaim. Um, are like chalaim. So what does chalaim here mean? Not jewels, but it means that they are hollowed out and go down all the way to the very depths. Okay? Now, the Yerechayich here, by the way, refers to, also refers to the Al Yerech Hamizbeach Tzofona, right? The Torah refers to the sides of the altar as the Yerech. So the hidden, the Chamukei Yerechayich, the stuff that's hidden in the Yerech, the sides of the altar, are like, you know, like hollowed out, goes all the way down into the depths. Okay, so that's Chamukei Yerechayich, Eilu HaShitim, Kemachalim Yodim Atom, Masei Yedei Omein, Zem Masei Yedei Umnato, Shal Kadosh Baruch was all God's handiwork. So this was all created by God. Okay, so that's one interpretation, that the, that it was all a natural underground cavern where this went, um, but it was first started as going through the hollow of the Mizpeach. We turn it out to Rebbe Shmel. Bereshit. In the beginning. Al-Tikri Bereshit. Do not read it in the beginning. Ella Fara Sheet. God created the Sheet, the Sheetim, these underground caverns. Tanya. Okay, so that's consistent with the idea that eventually it went into the underground caverns. Tanya. Rebbe Yosiomer, Sheetim Mechulin Biyardim Aratahom. The Sheetim are, are hollowed out and go to the very depths. Shene'emar, as the verse says, and here's a beautiful little uh, poem in Yeshayahu, which is, uh, sing a song to my beloved on his vineyard. Um, and it's basic, well, let's take a look. let me sing to my beloved, a song to my beloved for his vineyard. A vineyard had my beloved, the Karen Ben Shaman, in the horn of the, like, the, the hill, which was very, uh, quality, you know, uh, very rich land. Shaman, like Shaman, fatty, rich land. He dug it out and he removed the stones. And he planted in it new shoots. And he built a tower in its midst to overlook, you know, the uh, area. Um, and he even dug a wine vat in it. So, and then, now the end of the verse says, he expected to have amazing grapes, and then they turned out to be sour and terrible grapes. And it basically is about how God, you know, brought out the Jewish people and planted them in Israel, you know, and how they betrayed God and went astray. But the first part is very beautiful until we get to them going astray. <laughs> so let's take a look at what, how, how the Kumar interprets it. Um, so, um, where were we? Uh, but he's, uh, okay. Uh, 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 u
So he planted the shoot. So he, uh, so he, uh, you know, the, uh, he cleared out the space with Mars and interpreting, but basically Rashi says that it could mean that he cleared out the land from the, uh, from the, from the uh, enemies, from the Canaanites, or, and he, you know, that's how he cleared it out. He, they cleared out the space of the base on Mikdash, you know, the prior work that went to it. Uh, but anyway, he brought them into this beautiful land, and now up to Harbayev, he planted the, uh, he planted the, the shoot, um, the days to rake the base on Mikdash, he planted the base on Mikdash, even Migdal Betocho, and then he created a tower in the midst. Um, what is this tower? Zemizbeach. That's the altar because, you know, it's a big, high, uh, high um, structure. He dug in it a, a vat. Elu Hashitim. These are the Shitim that is the place where the wine goes into because that's what a vat is. Okay? Um, now, that's Rashi's girsa of this. Tosus has a slightly different girsa. If you take a look at Tosus' girsa, Vayita Eu Sorek Zebeta Mikdash, Vayiven Migdal. So, first of all, he has Sorek, so Vayiven Migdal, but Tocho Zemizbe, Vagam Yakiv Eu Hashitim, Kachos of Bechol Asfarim. Zeo girsa Sakunfe. Aval Betosos Garcinon, Betosef the Garcinon, Garas, Vayiven Migdal Betocho, Zehichal. The Migdal is the Hechal, because, right, you know, whenever we do our drawing of the base of Mikdash, the, the place where you bring, you know, where the menorah, the Shulchan is, it was a huge, tall building. That's your Migdal. The vat, the wine vat, is the altar. Why? Because that's what you pour the wine before it gets to the Shittim, before it, first it goes on the altar. That's the vat. So where do we get the uh, shitim from? If all it's talking about is the Mizbeach. No, it says Fagam Yakev, which is even, so even an extension of this wine vat, which is the digging underneath. Okay? So, uh, now, the, now, Tuzzles also has another interesting position, which is that, um, that he says that this approach disagrees with the idea that they were created from Sheshit Shimei Right, the first thing is Barashis, Sheshes Yimei Abreshis, Matzei Oman, Odzesh Zekadosh Baruch Hu, Matzei Umnasek Shalakadosh Baruch This talks about the practical act of clearing the space, of building the Heichal, mm-hmm. right? When it says that, that he built the Heichal, built the Mizbeach, God's hand didn't come down and build the Mizbeach. We mean through the acts of people, right? So therefore, according to this, even though it's agreeing that the that the uh, shikin, these underground taverns, <coughs> these shikin are underground taverns. That's where the wine went. It, it's not saying that it was natural. It's saying this was part of our construction of the base hamitzvah. Okay. Um, okay. Tanya was on the brisa. I'm Rebbe there was a little trap door on the, in, the, in the space between the ramp and the altar um, on the west side of the ramp once every 70 years you need to clean out the shittim so you would get the little children kohanim that's what pirche is like you know their uh, facial hair is just sprouting or they're sprouting up anyway you would get the little children kohanim who are small um, and they would go into this little um, a trap door and they would take out clean out from the uh, cavity um, all the congealed wine it's so congealed and hardened it was like these uh, clo- like these um, you know uh, cakes of, um, of pressed dates 
um, pressed dates or pressed figs. I'm always getting that wrong. Figs, pressed figs. Thank you. Ubain the sarfinos abikdushan. They would go burn it in a holy place because it was still wine that had been used on the altar. It had been sanctified. Shenemar bakodesh hasech and in the holy place you shall put the do the libations. Nesach shechar lahashem a a libation of intoxicating liquid to God. Kishem shenisuchobikdusha. So the same way it's uh, it's pouring is is you know it's bakodesh hasech. So even all parts of it, even when you had to burn it, you would do it biktusha. Okay, so um, now, but what is this issue about the west of the ramp? So we take the 3D picture off for a minute and look at the ramp. So the way the ramp was, okay, here is the top of the altar. Well, now what was I doing? Here's your altar, here's your ramp. Now the ramp was a little distant from the altar. First of all, it was a little distant because if this was going to be a right angle, you have a base here, and you've got, right, and you've got this here, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's going to be a little distant just because of that. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be that this is straight. In theory, you could sort of, you know, make it like this or whatever, make it accommodate. But it actually intentionally was a little bit of a gap because, because, um, it says that the same the same way you have to do you have to be zorate the um, avarim. If you take a look, Rashi quotes the uh, the previous Rashi and the previous Amud. Says let's see, quote Rashi. He quotes the pasuk in the middle, being kevish l'mizbeach. The asita olotecha habatsar v'hadam. The line starts with the word v'hadam, about fifteen lines up. Madam bizrika of batsar bizrika. So so the same way you're when you're down here. Okay, you're throwing the blood on the altar. So when you are putting the meat on the altar, you are, and assumingly you're doing it from the top of the ramp, you're standing here, you have to do it bizrika. So there has to be a little bit of a gap. Okay, which would be a little dangerous. I wonder if they have a yellow line, you know, stay behind the yellow line. <laughs> you have to be careful when you make that step over. Um, anyway, okay, so that's what, but anyway, that's what you would do. So that meant there was some access space here. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now remember we said that the Nisachim were, if this, this basically is the, I'm trying to read, this is the south, this is the north, which is the opening. You're looking okay. from the east. Right. Okay. You're coming in. Okay? So we said, remember, he would go up the ramp and then make a left, that this is where you would do the Nisachim, right? Mm-hmm. So, if they're over here, and you want an, and you want a door that accesses where the stuff is going to come down, where, where the stuff is, it's going to be on the west side. Mm-hmm. So you would have a little trap door here on the west, okay? Because this is the wine is coming down, and it's in the wet area. Whatever, it's hard to do on three days, but it's in the west half side, and therefore the trap door would get into that space, and they would clean out the wine. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sorry, the ramp did not communicate with the top of the altar. It did not touch the top. Right, there was a little bit of a gap. Yeah, you had to be pretty darn careful. Um, so this is this idea. So according to Tosos, he sees that there are three three opinions. One is it was an underground cavern, which was a natural cavern. The second is it was an underground cavern, which was man-made. And this approach denies, and this Rashi also agrees with, this approach denies that there was a cavern altogether. It just all went into a cavity inside the Mizbeach. So there was dried up wine inside the Mizbeach, a much simpler explanation, and they just had to clean it out every, you know, seven, how many years did it say? Seventy years? 
70. 70 years. Okay, let's take a look now as the mark continues. Okay. My maxima, where do you learn from this that the burning is the Kedusha, just as the libation is the Kedusha? So, Amar Avina, Asya Kodesh Kodesh, Xera Shafa. In the sanctified place, you shall uh, you shall do the libation. You shall burn the nosar in fire. Don't eat it because it is holy. So the same way, this is holy, that's holy, and you burn the notar here by when you take it out, and it's done, then you have to burn it as well. Who's it going like that? What's he talking in the Mishnah? With the wine that you're using for libations, at the outset there's mi'ilah. If you were to misuse it, you would transgress the, you know, the misuse of sanctified objects. Yardulu shitin, once however they went into the shitin, into the cavity, ain't malin there's no longer any mi'ilah. So the Gemara says, that sounds like it's Rebbe Tzadok who says that this cavity was on the inside of the altar. The e rabbanon, if it's the rabbi, if, if it's the rabbis, it went into the very depths of the earth. So how how would there be a, a circumstance where you could get the wine? Right, the wine goes into the very depths of the earth. There's no access to it. Gemara says no. A few rabbanon, even the rabbis, the ikwit, Let's say you caught it. As it was, you got, maybe they read this, the first thing that would go through a cavity in the altar. So somebody was standing inside the cavity of the altar with a cup out, and he caught the wine before it continued to go down into the underground cavern. All right, that's a pretty uh, hard-to-believe circumstance. The Igadam, the others say, Lema Rabbanan, he's a little Rabbanan, the opposite. Maybe it's only the rabbis and not Rabbanan, in a weird case where you caught the wine before it went into the underground caverns. The Rebelezer, it would be Rebelezer. How could it say there's no Me'ila? He says you have to burn it, you have to burn it, it's holy, so presumably there is Me'ila. So the Gemara says, no. A few of them Rebelezer, it could even work like Rebelezer, like Rebelezer. There is no thing that once that its mitzvah is done with, you did the mitzvah act with it, and there's still Me'ila. So remember, we learned that by all aspects of a korban, there's no different than any other part of the korban, which is once you've done the mitzvah, there no longer is mi'ilah. So just because you have to burn it because it had kedusha, or might have some residual kedusha, does not mean that there is mi'ilah. Okay, so now we have those different opinions about where exactly it would go. Would it just go into the cavity of the altar or continue down into the very depths of the earth? Now the Gemara says like this, Reish Laki, uh, I'm a Reish Laki, said Reish Laki, when they would actually do the libations, it wouldn't just all run down the tubes immediately. No, they would actually stop up the tubes, and Rashi says near the top of them. Okay. In the holy place you shall do the libations, the libations of intoxicating liquid. Where do you get this idea that means that you close the drains? So, Amar Papa, Sheikhar, Lashon Shkiyash, Sheikhar means something that you drink, a drinking, Lashon Sviyah, it's a type of a drinking that satisfies you, Lashon Shikhrus, and that gets you drunk. What does that have to do with anything? So basically, the idea is, is that if it all went straight down, it would be like you taking a drink and it would go straight down your throat. 
Whereas here, by stopping it up, you like it's like closing the drain of your bathtub. There's still a place for it to fill. It didn't overflow. There was still the, uh, you know, there's still the funnel, okay? But that's like you take a whole big swallow and you hold it in your mouth before you swallow. And the Gemara is going to say that that is a type of a satisfied drinking. That's a type of a drinking that actually can get you drunk. It thinks that the more it fills your mouth, the more it has the power to intoxicate. So before it just runs straight down the throat of the altar, as it were, we want it to be held in the mouth. And therefore, you would first stop up the uh, drain and you would wait for it to fill and then you would open open the drain. Okay? So let's see what the Gemara says right, but about this. Amara Papa, Shmamina, you hear from this, you can infer from this, Kisava Inish Chamra, when a person really gets like satisfied from drinking wine, Migrone Sava, it's from the throat, it's not from the stomach, right? So if you drink a lot of wine, it goes straight down, you don't get a sense of real satisfaction and fullness. It comes by spending time in the mouth, and you know, and holding it in your throat, and that gives you that satisfa- that sense of satisfaction, as opposed to food, where it's more about just filling up your stomach. <coughs> yeah. I don't know if there are any wine aficionados here, but you know, but they do like holding the wine in the mouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you when you taste it, you know, you actually spit it out. Right. Right. You don't want to get the the uh, actually you don't want to become Oh. <laughs> but there's also the sense of enjoying it but I assume any food the longer you hold it in your mouth the more you know you, it accesses your taste buds yes there's a discussion somewhere where the uh, they say that the wine goes into the, the drain pipe and then it eventually comes out somewhere and that the residual that comes out is actually not able to be used by people and they would take that residual and sell it yeah for fertilizer that's the blood, blood that they would sell the, the blood. blood oh okay blood, yeah Okay, so now the question is like this. All right, so um, okay, Amarava Sorbamir Abanan. So a a Torah student, which is like a yeshiva bacher, he'll not be chamra. You know, he's not. He doesn't yet have a job. He he can't afford, he can't afford uh, wine. He doesn't have a lot of wine. So maybe he gets some on Shabbos or whatever. But he doesn't have a lot of wine. Ligma gimua gimue. So he should like swallow, take like you know these big like swallows and hold it down and hold on to it and that way he'll get like real satisfaction out of the little wine that he has rather than like you know swallowing it straight um, so it's a little counterintuitive you take big you know gulps of it but hold on hold it before swallowing and that's better than taking a lot of little you know sipping it um, where are we? Rava Akasa Dibirchasa Rava for a kos shabracha, like a, a cup of uh, you know that he made a, a, a glass that he made tiddushan. So agma gimue. He also would not drink it like you know straight down, but he'd like take a big gulp and hold on to it as showing how dear the uh, the uh, the kos shabracha would be for him. Okay, so that's about how to drink wine. Darish Rava. Now, Rava explicated. I hope not after he was drunk. <laughs> What's meant by the verse? How beautiful are your footsteps in the uh, in uh, the shoes, the daughter of the generous ones, Bas Nadiv, of the generous one. So what does that mean? How beautiful are the footsteps of the Jewish people, the Shasha Olim Laregel. When they go up, right? So the footsteps is when they are going up. Na'ali might mean the word Ole also, not just in shoes, but in their Aliyah Laregel. 
Bas Nadiv, daughter of the generous one, Bitosho Avraham Avinu, the daughter of Avraham, our father. Shnikra Nidiv, who is called generous, Shnemar Nidiv, they amin me'asafu, the uh, generous ones, or could also mean the, uh, you know, the princes, but the generous ones of the nations um, gathered, Am Elohei Avraham, the people of Avraham's God. So, Elohei Avraham, the low Elohei Yitzchak Yaakov, the nation of Avraham's God, not the nation of Yitzchak and Yaakov's God. Ella, so this is talking about like all of the other nations, you know, gathered to recognize God. So that's why we're underscoring Avraham. Ella, Elohei Avraham, Shahayat Chilal Gerim. Avraham was the first of the converts, and that, by Rashi points out, is the, say, is the emphasis of the word Nidiv. So Nidive Amin here, right, is that sense of connected with Avraham. And why is it connected to Avraham? Avraham's heart sort of motivated him, right? Paul Nidiv lay. It's not just generosity, but it's a sense of the desire to give, the desire to do something. Avraham's heart motivated him to get close to God, to know God, and therefore he is that the you know he is the father of all future converts who have this coming near and their heart the way the heart motivates them. So that is also the when you're going up La Regel, right? The imagery is you're getting close to God. So that's why your Bito Shel Avraham Avinu, this desire you leave your hometown. Lech Lecha Mayartzcha Mimoladitzcha. So maybe Yartzcha is Tel Aviv, but fine. But for some people, that's also a Lech Lecha, and you're going, you know, to be close to God, and that is, you know, Bas Nadiv, the way Avraham, the way the Gerim come close, draw close to God. Okay, so now the Gemara says. Tana de Ravana and my deceive what's meant by the verse. Um Yirei back to that verse that we quoted before. Um you know, the uh, hidden of your saw area of your size. Lam this is how we interpreted it before about the Yerech Hamispeach. Lamanim Shaludive Torah Kiyarech. So he's saying that this actually refers not to the altar, it refers to Torah. Rashi says it's because the word chalaim, um, as I said, the pshat of that word to be in, is like jewelry, precious stones, and the idea that the Torah was hewn from precious rocks. The, the, the tablets were hewn from precious rocks. Okay, so why is um, the so where are we? Lamanim yerech like a sigh. Lomer lecha my yerech baseta the same way the sigh is in private is in covered up. Part of your body you keep covered. Torah also should be privately. You don't, you know, Rashi quotes Gemara's, you don't sit at the top of a mountaintop and teach Torah. You know, you do it in, you could do it with a lot of people, but you don't do it in a ostentatious type of a way. You know, in a way that draws attention to what you're doing. You do it with modesty. So, Haini, the Amar Rebelezer, that's what Rebelezer says, what's meant by the verse? Hagid l'chadam matov. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What is it that the Lord asks from you? Doing righteousness, or justice, I should say, loving kindness, and walking um, humbly with your God. So what does this mean? Justice, to have um, a land that follows laws and justice. The havas chesed kindness zugamilot chasadim. That's acts of uh, loving kindness one to another. It's one thing to have law. You know, you need a country that's built on law. But then it's the people acting with a sense of generosity and kindness and reciprocity to one another. That is accompanying a dead body to a funeral and bringing the kala into the chuppah. Rashi says, why does it say these two things specifically? Because there's a verse that uses the word lechet. Tovla lechet lebeit ha'avel, lechet, what's the exact passage by, uh, 
tells about lechet lebeit. You know it. Something. What? Oh, milechas lebeit mishteh. Mishteh. So it's not exactly a a a uh, uh, you know exactly the hachnasat um, kala. But of course the assumption is where would a beit mishteh be? Hachnasat kala five. So these are things that that ifatznei lechet, and these things you do in private. So where were we? So dalodram kavachomer. This, you can make a kavachoma. These types of things, you know, taking the levaya of a mace, you know, a wedding, um, you, normally is done in a, you know, in public. Even though you're not saying not to do them in public, of course, the way you show kavod to the mace is that you have a public funeral and a levaya. The way you have the simchachasamakal is that you do it in public. But even when you're doing it publicly and as a big deal, you do it with modesty. So if there the Torah says even something that's fast, public, and big of a deal, find a way to do it modestly. So hatsnei alechet, zvarim shedarkan lasod v'tzina, things that normally are more private affairs. Alachas kama kama, how much more so? And therefore, of course, therefore, also including Talmud Torah, tying that back, that Talmud Torah, you know, is not in its nature uh, public. It's something, you know, it's, there's more intimacy to it. Uh, Rebians, the students, and so on. And that certainly should find do it in a modest way and not in an ostentatious way. Now, what does modesty mean in the context of Hotzas Meis and Achnas Kala? Right, because if the whole point is to do it public and have simcha, what does it mean to do it modestly? So you could, so Rashi has two explanations, both of which I think are extremely relevant. One is, it means it's one, don't make it more about, uh, you know, overly indulge and make it, um, um, yeah, what? Conspicuous. Conspicuous consumption rather than a true simcha. You know, don't have to like spend so much money and make it so much about sort of the, uh, yeah, the, the, the sort of externals um, find a way to do it with a sense of a truly at- attaching to what is meaningful here and the simcha or the simcha by the kala or the experience of the kavod by the mate rather than the distraction about all the type of ostentatious spending that you could invest in those types of things. What? Or behavior, not just the spending. Uh, right, how do you behave? In, in, in not about you, or your ways about Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Meaning it's not just the people that are organizing it and what type of wedding they're making and have they crazy overspent by a wedding, but when you're at the wedding, right, how are you at the wedding? Exactly, and Rashi says that too. It's like, it's about, you know, how do you eat and are you gorging yourself, if it's the case of the custom kala? How do you behave? <laughs> how do you behave as well? The other explanation Rashi says, which is equally powerful, is... He says, if you are donating money to, to make this happen, because when it says you have to be partly it means personally to participate, but it also might mean, you know, when, you know, when they go around collecting staka for So it also means like donating for it. So Rashi says, there are a lot of people involved you know, in uh, in making this happen. There's the caterer, there's the florist, there's the band. Rashi didn't say that exactly. <laughs> but he does say, you know, a lot of people know how much money was spent. Okay, that's necessary. That's going to have to happen. You know, there's going to have to be the paying of the bills. But you don't go around and say to people, you know how much that wedding cost? That wedding cost $50,000 and I made it happen. I was the one who donated the money. You wouldn't believe how much the florist cost. Don't worry, I had it covered. I took care of it. So that part of the Hatznei Lechet is also in how you, you know, in, in how you are able to give tzedakah. Particularly challenging when a lot of people know how much something costs. To still find a way to do it in, 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 in. So 
so that's what, that's if that's true in those cases, how much more so in other areas? Do we even in mitzvah areas do we have to behave bitzniut? Okay, so now the Gemara continues. I'm Rebelezer, says Rebelezer. Doing tzedakah is greater than all sacrifices, which is quite fascinating. You know, how much, so often we focus on the, on the fact that, you know, that we have lost the sacrifices and that everything is, you know, it's not a full service of God without the sacrifices. No, tzedakah is greater than all the sacrifices. One who does uh, Tzedakah, here being translated probably not in the original biblical way, but carry, like giving to the poor, and justice, nifchar l'Hashem mizevach, is it's more desirous by, desired by God than a sacrifice. <coughs> now I'm a and says Rabbi Lezer, I just got to you how important tzedakah is, I want to tell you, which is actual acts of kindness with your person, not just writing checks, that's even greater than charity. Plant for, you, for yourselves with tzedakah and harvest it based on your, the kindness, according to the kindness. In Adam Zorea, when you plant, you don't know if it's going to sprout forth. Planting is not yet uh, the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the end result. So, Adam Kotzer, when you harvest, Vade Ochel, you know you will eat. So, if you do acts of chesed, that is even greater. That you'll definitely be rewarded, simply about the reward, but you know that you will, you eat, you know, that you will in the end benefit. Um, or that in the end it is at the highest level. I do want to say something about the Ochel, which does sound a little bit about, like, about you benefiting from what you've done or being rewarded. And it's important to note the phrase, Milut Chasadim, you know, we normally translate it as like, it's like, oh, this person is nebuch, I'll help him out, it's k'midot chosadim, you know, and the only difference is that whether it is, uh, whether it is um, writing a check or doing it personally. But there's an, but k'midot chosadim, as we're going to see in a minute, is not limited to people that are nebuch. You know, k'midot, you know, we shouldn't have everything of anybody is nebuch, but k'midot chosadim in the Gemara is even for wealthy people, people that are doing well, you know, and k'midot chosadim is helping people at, whatever, at any time that they need help and being there for people. The act of going to a wedding is called Gmilus Chasadim. A wedding of a friend. Why? You know, going to a funeral is Gmilus Chasadim. You go to my wedding. And the important point about this is not just being there for somebody, but the word Gomel, if you think about it, what does the word Gomel normally mean? How would you normally translate the word Gomel? Right? To be Gomel means to repay. So what does it mean repaying Chasadim? Because it's a, there's a reciprocity to that. Right? If I'm there for you, you're there for me. I help you out, you help me out. Um, I remember once when I was in Florida, there was a, a, a friend uh, started this thing which is called the Gemach Fund. And you think about Gemach Fund, you think about people that have no money and they need to borrow money and so on. This Gemach Fund was basically, you list like things that you have around the house, like a ladder and a this and a that. And like if you need like, I remember once, like you know, you have an, I need an eight foot ladder. Oh, I'll call it the Gemach Fund. Somebody else in the community has an eight foot ladder that they can lend me. You know, but next time they're going to need like a lawn a lawnmower, and I love the idea of a gemach fund for upper middle class people <laughs> because it was about helping each other out and the sense of reciprocity, and that is like a key sense of what it means to really, you know, um, um, uh, embody the sense of gemilut chasadim. And I think that's part of the idea here, where it says about that—that's where you harvest 
what you have given because it really is about being there for persons which is something you can do for anyone and anybody could do for you somebody who has no money could be Gomel Chesed right to be there for you to come to your wedding to be there at a time of need to be a friend yes yeah. Oh, that's very lovely. But you mean not in sort of the local geographic community sense. Yeah, like if you're like a, if you're like a, if you're like a like a, like an accountant, you know, I'll, I'll give five. Uh, I'll do five taxes for free over the year, something I like that. Okay, I'll have to take a look. Okay, impossible. I think so. All right, I'll take a look. Very nice. Okay, so now the Gemara continues like this. Um, Okay, Tanu Rabbanan, now we get into a beautiful Gemara about Kamilus Hasadim. Uh, I'm sorry, did I skip a line? Variochah, the Amar of Elazar, ain't stuck in Mishtalemet, Elusi Chesed Shabbat. The Tzedakah is only rewarded based on the Chesed that was a part of it. So this is not just saying chesed is higher, but it's intertwining the two. It's saying even when you give tzedakah, you'll reap the rewards based on the chesed. What does it mean based on the chesed? Meitan, how do you give the tzedakah? You just write a check and throw a check into somebody's face? Do you take care to understand who that person is, what that person really needs, how to really help that person? Beautiful Rashi. If you take a Rashi... Rashi says, second wide line, the giving of the money is the tzedakah. But the effort that you expend, and you know, who are chesed? Do you take, spend time with this person, walk them to their house, right? Or you try to figure out how am I going to help you with this money I've given you that actually it should increase, right? I'll help you invest it. You give him things that he can use in an effective way. Um, you give it, or you give him money, but at the time when the prices are cheap, not when they're expensive. You really care. Okay, it's about caring. It's not just about giving the money. And that's Lufi Chesed Shabbat. Beautiful Rashi. Tanu Rabbanan, our rabbis taught. Three ways Kminus Chasadim is greater than Tzedakah. Tzedakah v'mamono. Tzedakah is with your just wealth, just give money. Kminus Chasadim, beim b'gufa, beim v'mamono. Kminus Chasadim is whether with your person or with your money. Right? You can lend, you can lend an object. That's Kminus Chasadim. You, as we've seen, even giving Tzedakah can be done in a way of Kminus Chasadim. You can do a loan as opposed to a straight gift. And it's b'gufa, being there personally, helping out, participating, giving of your time and of your effort. Tzedakah la'aniim, tzedakah is only to the poor. Kimilus chasadim, bein la'aniim, bein la'shirim. Kimilus chasadim, as we just got through talking about, is whether to the, we- to the poor or the wealthy. Everybody needs somebody else and needs one another's help and assistance. Tzedakah, l'chayim, tzedakah is only for the living. Kimilus chasadim, bein la'chayim, bein la'nesim. Even for the dead, when you go and you are at somebody's funeral, right? That's what's called, right? The famously called chesed shel emet. It's a chesed that you don't expect to be repaid, but you know what? It's still gemilut chasadim because you know if you're there for my at my funeral, I'll be there. He said, "No, that doesn't work." Okay, anyway, but it's a gemilut chasadim that we do as a community, and that you are there for people at that time. People are there for you, and that is a true paying back. This person, whatever, what does this person do for you in, this, in his or her life? How are you able to pay that back? How are you able to give that back? Being there for somebody can even be being there in their death. 
the Amar Rebbe Lezer says Rebbe Lezer anybody that does now we're a little bit moving from Gemilu Chasadim but Tzedakah which we have to charity again it's probably not what Tzedakah means in the Tanakh Umishpat and justice so this is fascinating. Until now, we're talking about chesed as something distinct, or your tzedakah has to be done in a way of chesed. Now we're saying, if you do tzedakah and mishpat, it says, if you achieve chesed. Which, by the way, is important because, you know, in a way, it is a chesed to the world to create a society built on justice. If a real society is really built on justice, which doesn't just mean laws and laws that are enforced, you know, equally regardless of, of you know, the person and their status and so on, uh, but also a society built on justice means a society in which the wealth, you know, and how things are distributed, and it doesn't have to mean uh, whatever, socialism, but it means it's a society that takes care of the systemic issues and takes care of all the people in the society, and in addition to that tzedakah, in addition to that mishpat, you have tzedakah, you have people that are also giving when people fall between the cracks, right? It's as if you've created chesed. I mean, you haven't really, right? It's as if you've created a touch. Exactly, yeah. Din. Exactly, exactly. So although we've been talking about what chesed means, in a way, creating that type of a society that's built on true justice is as if you fill the world with chesed. Shem or Telmar, lest you say, Oh, anybody who wants to jump up can jump up. Which means, oh, yeah, sure, I'm going to do, I'm going to devote myself to tzedakah and chesed, no problem. Talmud Lomar, Mayakar Chazdecha Elohim. How dear, rare are your kindness, God. Which means, as Rashi says, you're not always able, just, you know, good intentions don't always lead to good results. To effectively do tzedakah and mishpat and chesed, it's not, you know, you have to really be able to do it with forethought. Um, so, Yachol um, Akirei Shemayim, okay, maybe it's even difficult for a Yare Shemayim. God's chesed is on those who fear him, which is now meaning the opportunities for doing chesed are more available to people that are truly Yare Shemayim. Maybe indicating that if you're not truly Yare Shemayim, you never know about what other types of agendas you might have that maybe even you're not aware of. So it's not always so pushed, it's the highest level, but to do it right takes, takes thought. Anybody that has a chain, I don't know what in English translation of chain is, not char, but whatever, you know, chain. Okay, that's the, the Yiddish word. You know that they are truly God fearing. God's kindness is from the one, this world to the next. Okay, what does that say, chain? Um, so, but assuming that, again, chesed is connected with chen, if God's kindness is on that person, so that person has a particular chen. Of course, this is a, this is a logical fallacy, because even if it's true that all people that, that fear God have chesed and chen, it doesn't mean that everybody that has chen is God-fearing, right? Everybody understand that? No, that's a logical problem. Okay, anyway. Never have a lesson. My Gichzi, what's meant by the verse? Kia Pascha Bechachma, the Torah's Chesed Aushona, Torah of kindness is on her lips. Is there then perhaps a Torah that is not one of kindness? Yes. Elo Torah Lishma, Zui Torah Shachesed. 
if it's done for its own sake, then that's one of true loving kindness, meaning the chesed to God, presumably, that you are, God has given you the Torah, you love Torah just because it's from God with no other sort of uh, sense of agenda. Um, if you have other agendas it's not a chesed which is a, taking us in a different place than we've been before um, and, but the last line the Gemara comes back is, re, is getting back to that original theme others say if you're learning it in order to do it in order to, to teach it, excuse me, then it is a Torah of Chesed, it is a Torah that then you are also giving to other people. Shalom does, you're doing it just for yourself, and it's a Torah just, you know, for your, to, to make yourself a Talmud Chacham, then Zui Torah She'ena Shal Chesed, then it is a Torah that is not about Chesed, it's all about you, it is not about the other. Okay, and with that we will end.